welcome to State Lobbying Heroes Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the careers and personal life stories of some of the best and the brightest state government relations experts. I'm your host, Deepak, CEO of Legistracker. Ashley Perkinson grew up in a small town, Archdale, North Carolina. In a family of four, Ashley was interested in arts, primarily in music, and not so much in politics. Ashley pursued music with clarinet during her freshman year, but got to a point where she decided music would be more of a hobby than a profession. So she switched majors during her sophomore year to journalism and mass communication at UNC Chapel Hill. Her first step into politics was when she applied for an internship at the White House in DC and was located at the West Wing press office when Bill Clinton was in office. She also had an internship at the NCGA and was instantly attracted to the legislative process and the people involved. Ashley went on to apply for law school at the University of North Carolina and practiced commercial litigation after graduation. In 2005 is when she stepped into the world of lobbying. How and more importantly why? Broadway star, cooking, traveling? Let's learn about Ashley's personal interests and her journey into government relations in this next episode. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, good afternoon, Deepak. It's great to be on, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I love podcasts, so thank you. Perfect. My pleasure. So let's get right into it. Talk a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up, and what was your interest back then? Oh, great question. So I grew up in Archdale, North Carolina. It's a small town in Randolph County. And grew up, family of four, had an older sister, Debbie, three years older. And we were really focused on and and primarily interested in the arts. So not really into politics. My parents weren't political at all. We did always watch the evening news. Of course, back then, there were the three choices. You had Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather. And so we were always interested in current events, but... I think the passion was more in the area of the arts. Sister was really focused on drama and debate and started in high school plays. And I was always really drawn to music. Music was my my first love. So were you part of any student government organizations or anything like that? Well, as, as a matter of fact, in fifth grade, I, fourth or fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, I ran for assistant secretary, nice. <laughs> which is, I've never heard of another organization having an assistant secretary. It was a pretty cushy gig. And uh, I think I would just take notes if the regular secretary was incapacitated for some reason. So not really high ambitions at that point as far as student government, but a, a little bit of experience. Okay. So what happened after that? Uh, did you go to high school and you know what was your experience there? Oh, yes. Well, I, I continued on uh, the theme of, of music and I attended Trinity High School, but would go to the North Carolina School of the Arts was considered in the special student program. That's basically what they call students who took classes there part time while attending another school. It was really focused on music with clarinet. And so I, I went there to School of the Arts for my freshman year of college and but got to a point where I felt like music maybe would be a better hobby for me than, than a profession. So I applied and, and got accepted my sophomore year at UNC Chapel Hill and uh, switched majors at that point and attended the uh, UNC uh, School of Journalism and Mass Communication. 
Interesting. And what was that all about, uh, School of Journalism? Oh, it was, uh, so in, in the School of Journalism, which we call the J School, they offer different tracks, chose the broadcast track. And so there was a lot of focus on writing. And I remember one professor who, if you misspelled a word or didn't capitalize a word, you got you know, 10 or 20 points off. So they, they really stressed attention to detail. They also offered some really great external outreach programs. And so when I was in the J School, I applied for some internships and got accepted into the White House internship, which was really kind of my first look at politics, but I applied for it really more from a journalism perspective. Um, I had actually a couple summers before that interned uh, for Congressman Coble, but the, the White House in, internship was a semester long and, and really a great experience for me. Interesting. So when you say White House at the DC? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you, so you moved there? Or I moved just for the internship? Yep, I moved there. It was um, summer and fall of 97 and uh, interned at uh, then President Bill Clinton and I was in the West Wing press office when Mike McCurry was press secretary. So it was a really great experience for me. And that was back in the day when Helen Thomas was still one of the, the key White House correspondents and she was always the first to, to be there at the White House in the morning. So it was just a really exciting time to, to, to be a part of that and, and to meet some of those legends. So how did you or what made you apply for such such a position? I'm pretty sure there must be other openings in North Carolina too. So how did you find that? And did anyone tell you recommend that? You know, that's a great question. I think I just, I, I set my sights high and nobody told me I couldn't apply for it. So I, I just applied and, and was really surprised when I when I got accepted for that. I also applied during that time for more journalism type internship for you know television stations and because at that point again that was really more my focus looking at policy from more a journalistic perspective. Interesting. So out of that experience what did you learn? Oh that's a, a another great question. I think a few things that I learned through that experience would be, well, actually one, one bit of advice and this came from Helen Thomas. She, I, I saw her one day in the briefing room and uh, she just said to me, you're always smiling. You know, just, she said, you're going to go places because I mean, she didn't know anything. I mean, I could have made all kinds of mistakes, but she just said, keep that up. Just always keep smiling and having a positive attitude, I think was one piece of information of advice that was, was really helpful. And also, I guess not ever getting too big for your britches, always being willing to do the grunt work. And I think the, the attitude of some of the people that I, I worked with there, just the, the work ethic and the amount of time that they spent really focused on their work and, and getting it right and and also getting to know your colleagues as well and, and establishing those relationships. Interesting. So did you get a chance to meet Bill Clinton? I did actually yes because he would come to the briefing room whenever there would be press briefings so uh, I, I was able to meet him a handful of times but yes yeah, so that was an exciting time. That's cool. So from that coursework is there any coursework which you think helped you in whatever you're doing right now? Can you think of anything? Yes, definitely. So, and in, in going from the J school to, to law school, I think both areas 
focus a lot on writing and also paying attention to detail. And, and also the, with the journalism background, with a focus on interviewing skills. And so with, with lobbying, you're not always doing the presenting, you know, it's just as important what kind of questions you ask because you want to know what, what's on the legislator's mind and what the legislator's priorities are. And if there are areas that overlap with what your client's priorities are and the legislator's priorities are, then it's, it's really a win-win. So I think those communication skills and the writing skills were, were really helpful. So after the School of Journalism, what made you, I mean, was, was there a gap between that point and then getting into law school or how did you get into law school? Yeah, so another great question. And just in thinking back, I did, I, I was able, the summer before I went to law school, I did an internship. I felt like a professional intern, <laughs> but I did an internship at the North Carolina General Assembly. And that was during the time that Harold Brubaker was speaker and Leo Daughtry was majority leader. And so I got to work in their offices and really got a firsthand look at the North Carolina General Assembly. And one of the things that really attracted me to the, the legislature was how accessible everyone was and how anyone, the ordinary person, you call up your legislator and if you're in their district, for the most part, they'll, they'll be responsive and, and want to meet. So it just seemed seemed like a really great way to, to be a part of policy and to see what's going on in North Carolina. So I had that experience of that internship before going to, to law school. I'd always had that experience in the back of my mind. When I went to law school, I really had no idea what area I wanted to go into, but had did have that good experience before going to law school. Okay. So... How did you apply for the internship for the NCGA and what, what made you apply for that as well? That's a really funny story. So back in the day, I was Miss Randolph County. So I was in the Miss Randolph County scholarship program and was asked to speak to the Ashborough Rotary Club. And during my presentation to the Rotary Club, a man named Alan Pugh, who was uh, then counsel to uh, Speaker Brubaker, came up to me afterwards and said, hey, you should apply for an internship at the General Assembly. And I really didn't know what he was talking about, but went through uh, the process and applied and was really grateful to be accepted. Interesting. And what were your responsibilities as an intern at the NCGA? Making, making a lot of copies, <laughs> helping with constituent uh, correspondence. I did at the time, I was working the, the page coordinator, went out on leave, she, she had an illness and so asked me to, to help cover some of those responsibilities, which I was happy to do. But it was an opportunity really to see the goings on of the legislature from kind of a staff perspective. Interesting. So looking back at your career, would you recommend that that would be a good starting point for anyone who wants to get into lobbying? Absolutely. I think it, it, whether it's uh, through the PAGE program, I never was a high school PAGE, but I know that's a great experience. Whether it be through that or through interning for 
your particular member in the legislature. I think that's a really great experience because it's, it may not be for everyone, but if you're someone who goes and, and, and is interested in policy and has that experience, it's a great way to start the process of, of trying to get more involved and, and maybe going into a lobbying career. Okay. So what was the connecting piece between doing all of that and then you de- you deciding that, okay, I want to get into school of law? Yeah. So so the timeline was, so I, far as the years, I, I did go straight through. I went, I graduated from undergrad in 98 and from law school in 2001, but was able to do those internships while in school. And, and, and when I applied for law school, I really didn't know what career I wanted what type of law. So I was still kind of in that exploratory mode of, of looking at the different areas of law. I thought for a while maybe you know going into litigation and I, I did practice commercial litigation after law school. So um, there was a time or a few years after law school I was mainly focused on litigation and courtroom work and didn't go into lobbying as a profession until 2005. Interesting. So looking at your coursework at the school, it's been a while probably, can you think of anything which you would recommend anyone who's getting a law degree right now, any coursework which you think which would help them if they do want to get into lobbying? Yeah, so uh, strangely enough, I think contracts was a helpful class because, again, paying attention to detail and and how the contract, how to interpret the language, how that language should be construed. But I do think just on as a whole, a law background does help you in lobbying. And an example could be you're looking at a bill and, and maybe there's a provision that's two lines and, and it deletes specific statute. Well, that it seems like it's just two lines on that page, but want to go back and, and look at what that statute, contain, statute contains, because that's obviously, that could be really significant. So I, I think that that is helpful, obviously not, not necessary, but that legal background is, is helpful. And I think the, the research classes that you have in law school, I guess they're still doing, I mean, in my day, we would go to the library, which I don't know that they, they do a lot of that anymore, mm-hmm. but I think research skills uh, can also come uh, can be helpful interesting so when you started off getting into the you know getting your degrees and all and you never expected that you would get a law degree would you Right, that you would get eventually because did you have any family members in this stuff or no not at all no i i'd never even i don't believe i'd ever stepped foot in a law firm before going to law school so, so yeah, I think part of it was after having a background in, in music and then in journalism and thinking, okay, what would be a good career that would be a solid foundation, good degree to have, no matter what you do. I felt like law school was a good, a good choice. And I did, um, in applying, I applied for, to Georgetown and to, to Chapel Hill, and I, I got into to both schools and almost went to Georgetown and, you know, often wonder what, what, how my career track would have changed, if at all, if I had gone back to D.C., but really glad I, I went to Chapel Hill and had the experiences since then. Interesting. So if, if anyone who is right now, let's say, at the crossroads of deciding whether to get a law degree or not, would you recommend that they should get one? 
for to become a lobbyist or or what were your thoughts if you if you really if you know you want to be a lobbyist i don't know that i would go through the time and expense of going to law school. If, if you know that you do not want to practice law in any other area, then, then probably not. However, if, if you're not really sure and you, you want to have a good foundational education, school certainly provides that and, and opens the door to a lot of different opportunities. So what happened after the law degree? You said you, you went as an attorney and you practice in litigation, right? So how did you get that position and can you talk us through as to you? you did for six years am i right that's right yeah and so i remember when i was at at law school in chapel hill and they had what they call on-campus interviews and i interviewed for a firm and i remember going into that interview and recruiter asked me what what area of law I was interested in and i said oh i, I like my property class <laughs> and and the recruiter said well i think there are more opportunities in litigation and i said well litigation sounds good so i was really open to whatever area they had openings in so i had summer clerkships at some different firms in north carolina and they were all good experiences and i ended up starting practice at patrick stockton which is now Kilpatrick Townsend. It's actually the firm my, my husband works at, completely different area. But, but I started at, at Kilpatrick Stockton in the Winston-Salem office after law school. And that was really focused specifically on commercial litigation and um, also some med-mal defense work. Practice there. And then um, after a couple of years, was given an opportunity to practice at um, Everett Gaskins, Hancock & Stevens, a law firm here in Raleigh, where I had done a summer clerkship during law school. And that was a firm is still um, very much still around and, and practicing as a great firm, but they do a lot of work in media law. And so I was also, with my journalism background, interested in the media law aspect. So I practiced there when I moved to, to Raleigh. Um, they also had lobbying part of the firm as well. And so that gave me an opportunity to kind of dip my toes again back into lobbying or to, for the first time to actually lobby, but dip my toes back into the General Assembly. Oh, interesting. So we'll go to that part of it. Can you tell, explain to me what is media law? Oh, sure. Yeah. So media law, so it can be everything from whether you're looking at the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. Also, another uh, aspect of media law that, that lawyers focus on a lot here in North Carolina across the, the country are open meetings laws. So when a public body meets, there are laws in effect uh, that say that meeting should be public. Also, uh, public records laws. So uh, correspondence that's generated by public officials and public bodies tend to fall under the, the public records law. So and those statutes and then, of course, the, the freedom of the press and and free speech are aspects that all kind of fall into uh, media law work. Interesting. So after that, you said you had the chance to get back into the NCGA. Was it through the same firm or was it? Okay. Yeah, it it was through the same firm. And so I was uh, practicing at Everett Gaskins and I remember going to, and this is maybe interesting to you and your listeners who are interested in getting into lobbying. So 
I went to a, a conference. It was a conference put on by the North Carolina Center for Nonprofit. And I remember sitting at a table at that conference and there was another woman at the table who was talking about how she wanted her, her organization to hire a lobbyist. And I said, just in casual conversation, oh, I really want to get into lobbying. That's it. And so we struck up a conversation and then I connected with the attorney at the law firm who was already had, he already had an established lobbying practice and we met and, and, and brought that, that client on. So yeah, so it was really through, and I'm not much of a networker, but it was actually through kind of a networking experience that I picked up my, my first client. Interesting. So in these casual conversations, what do they say when they say they want to hire a lobbyist? Is it something they say like, yeah, this is what our organization stands for and we need some sort of a representative at the assembly? Is that what they say? That's right. It can be a number of things. It could be a, an organization, a nonprofit organization that is interested in receiving state funding. They, they may have a program that they would like to build to scale and they would like to see that state investment. Or it could be an association that really wants to move forward substantive legislation. Or on the flip side of that, it could be an organization that's concerned with legislation that might be moving forward and they want to play defense and for that legislation not to get passed into a law. Okay. So what happened after that? So they, you brought in the client and then they said you can switch to the lobbying part of the organization and then you started doing lobbying in Everett Gaskins? So when I first started lobbying, because I was just working with a couple of clients at that point, I was still doing both. I was doing the, the litigation work and the lobbying work. And and that is that was a lot. And especially with the, and I think it's probably becoming even more challenging, especially like in 2019, where the long session went the entire year. I think it would be hard to to, to juggle both areas of law. But but I did do that for a while. And I got to a point where I really realized that I wanted to focus primarily on lobbying. And so that's when I went out on my own, started Perkinson Law Firm. Interesting. So out of all the experience you had as the attorney there at Everett Gaskins, can you tell us like what kind of skills did you garner when, when you were there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was really fortunate. I've been, this is one thing I've been fortunate about my whole life is that I've had really great mentors in all aspects of life, not necessarily at the General Assembly, but through just life, whether that be music teachers, teachers in the, the schools that I attended, or through my professional life. And, and there's an attorney at Everett Gaskins named Ed Gaskins, and he loves to mentor young attorneys. <laughs> and it's, he just has a passion for it. And I learned so much from him about just professionalism and putting a client's interest as your number one priority. His firm also also had a series of principles that the firm would go by and I always thought that was really special and and just honesty that honesty that that there are in any kind of representation there are good facts and, and bad facts but you've got to be transparent and and make sure honesty and transparency are, are always at the forefront okay that's awesome so let's now jump into your 
current position as the attorney at Perkins Hill Law Firm. I know like you've been there for the past 10 years. So maybe we can chop it up into like three-year or four-year stints. So let's talk about the first part of it. What kind of clients did you have back then within the first few years? And what kind of experiences did you get from that? Yeah. So when I, when I started out on my own, I just had a couple of lobbying clients. And it started out representing the North Carolina PTA, Parent Teachers Association. And that was the organization with the then president who I met, the Center for Nonprofits, struck up that conversation. And then my second client, LPCANC, Licensed Professional Counselors, their association, they reached out. They saw, I think, my bio on, on the internet. So it was really almost like a, a cold call. And I, and I represented them for a, a number of years. But so started out on a, from a small representation, a couple of clients, and then just grew from there. Okay. And can you remember, I know it's been a while, but can you remember of any important policies or any kind of uh, legislation you worked on back then? Sure. Yeah. A couple of um, pieces. I know with the, the counselors, one of the things that they really wanted to see happen and something that we accomplished was a rewrite of their licensure law. So so that was a pretty big effort to, to update. The, I don't think it had been really significantly updated since it had been originally adopted. And then with the PTA, they were really focused on trying to enhance family engagement because some Many studies show that kids benefit when their families are effectively engaged in their education. And so the, the state did appropriate funds to that initiative. So that was great to see. So those were two of the, the areas that we were really proud of the, those first few years. Interesting. So from, let's say, 2015 to 2020, what kind of clients do you work with? Do you work with specific verticals like healthcare, anything like that? Or is it like across the board? Yeah. So I, so most of my work is really focused in the healthcare area and education area. And, you know, been really fortunate to work with music educators. And that's, that's been a lot of fun. We've had celebrations, marches, music in our schools month. And so uh, the last few years, we've had some really fun celebrations that have, have uh, really honored music educators in our state and national board teachers who get a supplement for going through that program. So that's been a really great client to work with, to be able to protect and celebrate that national board certification. And then on the, the healthcare front, I work with various health providers like emergency physicians and um, the ARC of North Carolina and occupational therapists and speech language pathologists and also Carolina Donor Services. They do organ and tissue work, oh, transplants. They are one of two uh, federally designated um, organ procurement organizations. And so we got our Heart Heroes legislation unanimously passed in 2019, which was really great to see. And then also work with TROSA in Durham that uh, they do a lot of great work with individuals who suffer from uh, substance use illness. So can you like walk us through on a day-to-day -day basis? What, what is it that 
you go through. I mean, let's say you wake up tomorrow and then say like, okay, what is it that's on your mind and what is it that you go through? It's funny you ask because anytime I'm trying to schedule something and someone says, well, what is your schedule typically like? I'll say, there's no typical schedule. <laughs> no, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to, to say. Obviously, when the legislature is in session, that is committees typically start around 8.30 and then committee work through the morning and then, of course, your following session in the afternoon noon and then in the evenings and in the mornings reading the news and then going through bills that that are are introduced. It's been really interesting to see during the, the pandemic, during these months, things have, have shifted and, and thankfully legislators and clients have been really open to meeting via Zoom and, and video conference. So, you know, the schedule's been completely different over the last few months. But I think from just the time commitment perspective, especially like in 2019, where the legislature was in session all year, really is a full year commitment. Commitment. And, and even those years that they don't go all year, they're the interim committees that we want to cover. But yeah, throughout the day, it's primarily connecting with clients, reaching out to, to legislators, and also doing the, the writing updates uh, for, for clients as well. Okay, so that's a good segue into like when you said you gather news and all, do you have any specific news you follow or do you use any technologies to follow through what to stay current? So I read the, the insider in the morning so to, to get the that information from some of the various newspapers across the state and then their original content as well. And then, you know, I think we're all following Twitter now. Um, it seems to, like I mentioned back when I was growing up, you had the three channels that you could tune into. I think now we almost have too, too many options. But yeah, Twitter is, of course, you know, great for for those updates and then just the the general assembly's website when in, in looking at upcoming meetings and all that i think so yeah one other question i had is like out of all the experience you've had at the perkins law firm was there any specific challenging project or anything which you can recollect which stands out in your memory so looking at uh challenging projects what what one one area that it, there were so many just interesting stories from, I, I, I represented the Humane Society and the ASPCA and trying to get the puppy mill bill passed. And we also had the exotics bill. And you can imagine when you're dealing with, with animals, there are a lot of passions. And I remember during the exotics bill debate in the house, it was during it was one of those early morning late night early morning sessions at, at crossover time and there was a an amendment dealing with a particular kind of monkey that <laughs> should be exempt from the exotics law and uh, a, a wonderful representative pat hurley from my home county from randolph county stood up to present the amendment and because we were talking about monkeys the, the middle of the night everybody just was laughing and, and <laughs> it was just everybody had gone silly at that point so that that was a, a pretty memorable experience <laughs> so can you tell us like if you looking into towards the future where do you see yourself like in the next few years do you want to continue down this path or do you want to run for office or anything like that? I have no interest in running for office whatsoever. No, yeah, I, I really like what I do and I, I love the, the clients that I, I work with. I've been really fortunate in that 
the clients that I've, I've worked with over the years, I've always been really supportive of their priorities. And so, and that's been a really great feeling. And especially if, if you have a legislative success, a client that you really believe in their work, that really motivates you to continue and, and to keep going. Okay, perfect. So that leads us to the last set of questions I had for you, which is the rapid fire set of questions. So if you're good, I'll just fire away. What is the one myth or misconception about lobbying, which you think you want to bust? Yeah, I think one myth is that lobbyists come with lots of money for political donations. And of course, that is an element. And there are a lot of organizations with large PACs. But there are also a lot of advocacy groups and nonprofits that want to have a voice, but don't have significant PACs that they can provide donations from. What are the three skills you think are essential for someone to be a good lobbyist? Certainly honesty, as I mentioned earlier, that is is very key. I I think legislators and, and other lobbyists have long memories. So honesty having positive relationships with legislators. I'm sure you hear that a lot. <laughs> that is, that's consistently number one. And then also regular communications with, with your client. I'm, I'm one that tends to take that to the extreme. I hate having an email that I haven't responded to, but I think that's been helpful over the years because clients know if they email me, I'll probably respond right back. Yes, I can certainly watch for that. What is the one profession or anything you would like to be if you weren't a lobbyist? Oh, oh gosh, probably a Broadway star would be really great. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. What is your favorite book or hobby? Well, I'm a big fan of Proust. So Remembrance of Things Past is, is my, my favorite novel. From a hobby perspective, I still love to play music. I play piano and, and clarinet. And the funny thing with the, with the pandemic, I had gone for a lot of years without playing and being home has, has made me be able to uh, get out my clarinet. But, and my husband and I, we love to cook. So that we love to cook and travel. Nice. Do you have any role models in your life? Yes, I do. I'll, I'll be cheesy and say my husband, Sterling, he's, I look up to him. He's just a wonderful partner and manages to juggle a lot between work and, and our family life. So I'll be, I'll be romantic and say my husband. Wow. He's definitely scored a lot. <laughs> what inspires or motivates you to be doing what you're doing? So really from, um, when when you get a, a good success, you know, when something works out, when the stars align and legislation gets uh, adopted or, or a provision that you've advocated for gets included in, in the budget, that really motivates you to keep going. Obviously, there are plenty of times when things don't work out and, and that can be frustrating. But when they do work out, that really motivates me to keep going. Perfect. On that note, I would like to say once again, thank you so much, Ashley, for being on the show. I really do appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Deepak. I've enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in another episode of State Lobbying Heroes. Your support and love is what keeps us going. Until next time, take care.